from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is Jonathan Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur and greenentrepreneur.com. And today we're going to talk about Gummy Gate, Candy Gate, or whatever you want to call it. So what is Gummy Gate? Basically, the big candy industry is not too pleased with some very bad actors in the cannabis space who are stealing their logos and their intellectual property to sell their goods. So some recent high-profile cases include Mars Inc., which filed a lawsuit against five companies for selling cannabis-infused edibles that look like Skittles and, and Starburst and Lifesavers. And then in the past, other companies like Hershey Company has sued for products that resemble Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and Heath Bars. Modellas International took on a company that was hawking products called Stony Patch Kids instead of Sour Patch Kids. And it's funny, but it, it isn't that funny because Big Candy isn't the only entity that is concerned about this. There are some hospitals that have reported an uptick in children who have accidentally consumed edibles that they thought were candy. And this, of course, is dangerous and terrible PR for the legitimate edible manufacturing industry who do pretty much everything in their power to keep edibles out of the reach of children. And Wanna Brands is one of those companies. It is also the largest edible company in North America. And they are both outraged and concerned about this topic. And I have with me today Joe Hodis from Wanna Brands, who is the chief marketing officer there. Joe is also a parent of three kids, so he understands the danger even on a personal level. So, Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. I appreciate that. And yeah, I, I definitely understand uh, kids and, and, and the cannabis industry and, and where those two should or should not meet. Yeah. So let's talk about, I mean, how, how big a problem do you think this really is for the cannabis industry in general? It, that's a great question, actually. And it seems so simple on the face of it for, for an easy answer, but it's not because as it relates to the products themselves, I function within the, the legal cannabis industry. I don't, there are no companies that are calling their products Stony Patch Kids or trying to emulate um, large you know, candy manufacturers. There's just not, right? And that's, and that's the majority. My hope is the majority of products being sold. Now, where it is a problem is, okay, maybe it's in smaller quantities, but A, well, as a marketer, frankly, I think it's, it's appalling to uh, rip off someone else's work. B, I think that those are the products that aren't tested, that are not age-gated, that are able to be accessed by people who maybe shouldn't have a hold of them. And then C, it adds to the overall mystique and or the, even the data, like you mentioned, poisoning calls to hospitals, more poison lines. It adds to all of that data, right? So if companies were doing it right and doing it well, and, and parents were keeping the products out of the hands of their children by locking it up properly, those numbers wouldn't be increasing. And it reminds me a little bit of Vapegate in, this, in the way that most of the problem really lies in the illicit market. And this is not really, and maybe I'm wrong, and I don't know if these companies that were pinged by, by Mars and, and Hershey's company are actually like legitimate cannabis companies, or they're just black market operators who are just looking to make a fast dollar. But it seems like a lot of these companies are not from the legal cannabis market. That, so far as I know, that is 100% correct, because I certainly don't see them anywhere. And, I, and they wouldn't be allowed anywhere. I mean, that's the bottom line. Anybody in the legal cannabis market is regulated by the state in which they, in which they function. There is no state where that kind of packaging would be allowed. So therefore, de facto, they're not in the legal market. Right. So there's only one way that they could exist, and that's illegally. Talk to us a little bit about how it's done right. So, you know, this is a big concern, obviously, of a company like Wana, who makes 
quote unquote candy, but for adults. So what do you guys do to make sure that it stays out of the reach of children? Well, I guess I want to start by saying that no matter what we do, whether it's the packaging or the design so that doesn't look appealing to children, all of those elements stamping the product, all of those are secondary to the most important thing, which is lock it up, keep it out of the sight, out of the reach of children. That's that's the most important thing that, that we can do as consumers of cannabis. On the product side, as a company, everything goes in CR packaging, uh, child resistant, sorry, I didn't mean to use the acronym, but you know, child resistant packaging, our labels, our marketing, all of which is designed to appeal to adults, not to children. Um, all of those parts and pieces go to uh, towards being able to differentiate our product from that uh, for a child. But it, again, at the end of the day, it's important that people remember they have to keep it locked up and they have to keep it away from their kids. I mean, some of these bottles are so hard to open up. Like I actually can't open them up. <laughs> like it's there, you know, it's tricky. I mean, it's something that you guys really put a lot of thought into, right? Like how hard it is to open up some of these packaging. We get actually that's uh, we get a lot of emails from people like, can you guys make this a little easier? Because it's, it's actually really hard. I couldn't open my bottle of uh, Wana gummies last night. So we try to walk that line between making it user friendly, but not making it too easy to open. But to get that CR designation, that child resistant designation, there are certain um, organizations that go through the testing process for packaging. And it's an interesting process if you've never looked into it. They have to, they basically take the packaging through multiple stages. First, they give it to kids with no instructions and no additional instruments with which to open it. Then they give them things like a pair of scissors or some other things that they can use, potentially probably open a package. And likewise, on the other end of the spectrum, they give the, the packaging to senior citizens to make sure that they can open it as well because if their hand strength or arthritis impacts their ability to open the packaging, that's not good either, right? Because in, in many cases, they're accessing medicine and they need to be able to open those bottles. That's amazing. So they really go through even like they actually have kids test it out to see the kids can't get in. That's incredible. Now, want to start in Colorado, but it's now sold in, in many other states. Are there different rules for different states that you have to accommodate? as it relates to some of the, the marketing and like the, to the packaging. So for example, in Florida, our package looks vastly different than it does in Colorado. In Florida, it's, it's almost entirely black and white. There's our logo. There's a logo of the partner that produces there for us. And it's called a soft chew. In Colorado, we can have fruit on the packaging. We can have full color. It's called a wana gummy. So the packaging is, is different state by state. And in many cases, the information on the packaging all the way down to how do you listen to that weight? And what warnings do you put on there per the state, you know, about if you're pregnant or uh, not uh, driving after consumption, those kinds of things. All that language changes state by state. But the baseline that is true of all states right now is that child-resistant packaging. So that's a requirement, I want to say, in, in almost every state, if not, I, th I think it's every state at this point. I mean, as a marketer, that must be tricky for you because in one way, you know, your job is obviously to sell product and make it appealing to adults. And in one way, you know, the packaging is very important. Having a, a picture of the tasty, you know, margarita gummy or whatever it is that that Wana manufactures is appealing. But in Florida, you know, like you said, you can't even have a picture of the gummy or even call it a gummy. You call it a soft chew. I mean, how do you feel about those laws? Do you think like what's your take on them? Well, I will say that having been in this industry in Colorado from from the 
very start of adult use legalization, there were some, I don't want to say overreaches, but I think some of the regulation was a little bit knee-jerk and a little bit over the top here in Colorado initially. And then they peeled back once they felt the sky wasn't falling and they saw that we could operate as a safe and, and, and reputable uh, industry here. And I think the same holds true in, in every new market. And back to what I said earlier about the best way to ensure that kids don't consume these products is to keep them locked up and out of reach of children. So in Florida, the gummies are colorless, the packaging is black and white. And yeah, that might be less appealing to a kid. But I guarantee that if you leave it out somewhere, if a kid has access to it, you're still potentially creating a risk there. So I think that Florida, like other states, will probably come back more towards the middle. And as a marker, which is kind of how you began this question, yeah, it's a challenge. But I will tell you this, if I or any of us felt like those regulations were going to keep our our children or our community safer, we'd be 100% for it. I just don't think there's very much evidence to demonstrate that those types of changes really do have an impact in terms of... uh, accidental ingestion. So you not only talk the talk, but you walk the walk because you have three kids, right? How, how old are your kids? So my kids are a little older. So they're, they're 12, 17, and 19. But when I started in the industry seven years ago, they were not. <laughs> and I also know that there are phases when we talk about kids and cannabis, there are phases, right? There's infant phase where child-resistant packaging could clearly stymie a two-year-old. Then there's sort of that five, six, seven, eight, where maybe they're smart enough and strong enough to be able to open some of it. And then you begin to get into teen years where Frankly, child-resistant packaging would do no good from keeping out of their hands if, if that indeed is their intent. So that's where, again, going back to this message I keep repeating, lock it up, keep it out of sight. Yeah. So what do you, so I, I, I think I read somewhere that you do more than just like lock it in a, like you have actually, you do more than just make sure it's locked in a bottle. Uh, you know, you, you actually put it like in, like in a Ziploc bags or something. Tell us what you do. Yeah, there's, there's a company called Stash Logics that makes these great bags. They look good. They're, they're lockable. Uh, and, um, you know, they're soft. Uh, most of them are soft side. I think they have some hard side ones too. But it's a great way to just kind of add that extra layer of safety. And again, going back to the teenager part, yeah, could a teenager get their way into a, uh, something other short, short of, a, of a safe? Probably, but that five, six, seven, eight-year-old, no. I mean, it's it's like the one I have is two zippers that are double locked with a combination. So it's it's a great product for for storage. What do you think we can the industry can do better? I mean, I don't even know if this is the industry's fault because again, we're talking here again about bad actors. But what can we do? Maybe the industry or the government do better to prevent this problem from happening? You know, John, it's a, it's a good question. I, I don't know that I have a great answer because bad actors will be bad actors. I mean, people that are looking to either profit off the cannabis industry, do things inappropriately, be sensationalistic, there's nothing that, that we can do other than ensure that if they're not complying with the law, then they're, then they're prosecuted to the full extent of the law. The great thing about legalization is that all of those people that have been arrested previously, and, and most of them being people of color, and disproportionately, the changes in, in, in legalization will hopefully ensure that that doesn't happen again. But it shouldn't be used to protect people that are making products and or selling those products outside of the legalized system. Seems like, and again, just for national legalization, it's another argument to have one system that everybody has to to follow and to be able to crack down a little harder on the on the illicit markets. I mean, you these illicit markets crop up because cannabis isn't legal sometimes in the states where it's sold, right? So this is the only way you can get cannabis anyway. It just the legal industry is so highly regulated that the chances of this happening are almost zero. Obviously, kids are gonna find a way to get into cannabis to edibles. Maybe that's gonna happen, but so irregularly if it's a legal 
product. Like you're saying, it's it's packaged in a way that's very hard to access. It doesn't look like candy. It doesn't sound like candy. There's nothing about it that makes them think it's candy, right? It seems like we just we just need to call it out. Is it has it hurt your business? I mean, do you think that there's a, a danger that more cases in the public eye about kids eating edibles is going to just reflect poorly on the whole edibles industry in general? Well, I think any time that happens, it reflects poorly on the industry because most consumers don't read that deeply into a story or discern like, oh, well, those guys were illegal black market players. That's why there should be more legalization in more states with more regulation. They just see kid A candy from edibles, got sick, called the hospital, whatever the headline is, right? And of course, you know, the media will, will probably want to sensationalize that even a little bit further. So it is always a black eye. It doesn't impact our business directly from the standpoint that I don't think that's going to prevent somebody from going and buying edibles if they're an edibles consumer. And for that matter, I don't think the black market, particularly for, for that type of edible product, is that, that strong because most of the legal players have put so much time into R&D that we're making vastly superior products from a flavor perspective, from a consistency perspective, and from a, a, an effect uh, perspective. So from that standpoint, it's not as much of an issue. But in terms of the perception and in terms of it just being part of that, that lore that goes along with edibles of, oh, it's, you know, what about the kids? It just it just reinforces that messaging. And, you know, I guarantee that those who are prohibitionists or who are saying, well, we don't want cannabis in our state, they're using that data and they're using those examples and saying, here's why. This is what companies are doing. I've seen these presentations actually from a lot of these, uh, a lot of the uh, prohibitionists who use the exact examples of these candies that look like they're made for kids to say, this is why you don't want edibles in your state. But that's exactly the reason you do want regulation and legalization in your state, because that wouldn't happen. All right. Let's talk a little bit about WANA in general. Step away from Candy Gay for one minute here. And talk about what you guys are doing, because you're really, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you guys are the biggest edibles company in North America. And you kind of set the stage here, and a lot of people have copied you. But what do you guys have coming up? Like, what can we expect in the next like year from, from your company? Well, I think there's a lot of things we have coming up that I'm really excited about, some of which I can fully tell you about, others I can't. So I think state-by-state expansion huge. So we'll probably add another, I think right now, four to five new markets, new states in the next uh, six months here. By the end of the year, we'll be up to probably 16, 17 states. So that I'm excited about, of course. Um, new products. Um, we're on the verge of launching a number of new SKUs under our quick product line, which are fast-acting edibles. Excited because they're new flavors that people, I think, are going to really be thrilled about, as well as the fact that these are 10 milligram versions versus the five milligrams that we originally launched with here in Colorado. Also along the lines of Quick, we're, we're taking that into new markets. So we have our first new markets for that product line that has done so well here in Colorado. We've launched in, in California. We've launched in Canada with uh, the Quick product line. And we're going to add about three or four more Quick products, uh, Quick markets on in the next two to three months here. And then lastly is innovation. And that's the part I can't fully tell you about, but we've got some new products coming up that no one has seen before. And I'm really excited about the, the launch of these products. They, they are very much designed to be use case specific for the consumer. So I'd say it's moving beyond just saying this has THC or CBD into some, some very specific formulations that I think people are really going to love. That's awesome. What are some of the new flavors? Can you at least tell us about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, we have at our member mall on the top of my head here, but we have our, our Apple Teeny and Colorado Sunrise. These are all 
of drink names, obviously, which kind of goes in line with the original launch of our quick product line. They're all kind of happy hour oriented. This is a, a very social product, and we're really hitting that message home by with with the drink names and the flavor profiles become, I think, even more interesting. But yeah, the Colorado Sunrise, Appletini, and then our Island Punch. Um, it's probably one of my favorite ones. So those are uh, a couple of examples. And we just launched the uh, Lemoncello about a month and a half ago. So I'm interested why you went for that sort of cocktail angle in your research. Were you finding that was how most people were consuming it sort of as almost like an alternative to getting a drink after work? Well, no, actually. So edibles don't really have that strong of a reputation for that type of effect. Edibles are generally known for being a little more body heavy, um, a little bit longer lasting than, than some people would like, you know, six hours or so. A little bit difficult to understand exactly when you're going to feel the impact. But we had developed with the Quick Product line, a product that is fast acting, you know, five to 15 minutes, has a defined off-ramp of two to three hours. It's a little bit lighter, more cerebral, Delta 9 high. So they actually, the Edible does not get converted to 11-hydroxy the way that a normal edible does because of the way that we encapsulate the molecule, which is kind of geeky science stuff, but it really creates a different effect for this product. So it was really ideally suited for a happy hour social type of a, of a product versus a, a standard edible. Well, Joe, this has been fascinating. Joe Hodis of the of Wanna Brands, Chief Marketing Officer. Wanna Brands can be found, I think, at wannabrands.com, right? You can find out where the products are sold. Yep, that's correct. And uh, they are in many, many states. So likely, if you're listening, you could find a Wana Brands product in your state if you live in a legal state. Yes, I hope so. Yep. So if any kids are listening, stay the hell away <laughs> from edibles. They're very bad. Right. Bad kids. Exactly. All right, Joe, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk to us today. John, my pleasure. Thanks as always. And uh, I look forward to talking again soon. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Write About Now. That's W-R-I-T-E to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's writeaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.